Good to see you today. Good to be together in the house of the Lord. Looked out this morning when I got up, I don't know about you, and I just felt like rolling over in bed again, but uh, got myself kicked out and going. Hey, we got a lot of things going on. Just want to mention some different things. Let's start by watching the video trailer for the movie that we'll be watching here on the 6th of September. It's called What Is It? Sound good? The president of Planned Parenthood went before Congress and argued for infanticide. I don't believe that even for a second. You know, when we talk about third trimester abortions, the infant would be delivered, uh, the infant would be kept comfortable, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. Since the beginning of time, people have attempted to dehumanize certain types of people. There should be a safe way to get rid of a baby. I would absolutely kill a baby right now if I needed to. We are a nation that is quickly losing its moral compass. If somebody told me that they murdered somebody, I wouldn't take it upon myself to judge them. At what point does it become a baby? I don't know exactly. There have been more than 61 million abortions in the United States since it became legal in 1973. Literally everyone has an opinion. If we get pregnant, we get pregnant. When does it, when does it become so a Whatever the Supreme Court said, that's it. I'm staying with it. It doesn't matter if it goes against science. You're a doctor. I think it becomes a human when it starts to develop. From the moment of conception, it begins to develop. That's true. I'm going to see if students are willing to sign a petition to legalize post-birth abortion. Hey, Chief, you want to sign a petition to legalize late-term abortion? Oh, uh, sure. It's after the child's actually been born. It's within the first 30 days is the idea, is the concept. Okay, fair so, enough, but, but for the option. At the end of the day, it's always going to be the woman's choice. This isn't politics. This is common sense. There are only four differences between the pre-born and the newborn, and none of them define our value as human beings. Is getting an abortion the same as removing one's fingernails? or removing a lung, it's a crime to kill an eagle's egg. Yet if a woman decides to kill her own child, we call her brave. I'm, I'm rethinking my pro, my pro-choice thing. Kathy, would you kill it? Would I kill what? What? Would you kill it? Kill what? Kill it? Kill. What is it? You should be able to have an abortion when we're in America, right? Thank you for the trailer. So that is the movie we will be watching on October the 6th. I want to encourage, not October, September the 6th. I want to encourage you to come down that evening, try to bring somebody. You know, a lot of times on this issue, we kind of preach to the choir. But uh, we need to, you know, invite people in our community who may not understand this issue and uh, need to think about it more deeply, understand what the Word of God says and um, what the position of the church needs to be. So I want to encourage you to Maybe come. It'll come up. So next Sunday, we will be outside. Um, we're going to have breakfast at 9. Our Carl and Marlene here. Do you want to stand up, Carl? Tell us anything that you need to relate to us as a congregation about the breakfast and then the help that you're going to need as well. Okay. 
So somewhere between six and seven. Yeah, so you just come and bring your appetite, and, and the team will be putting together the food. And um, we're going to start at 9. Do you want to share the menu again so everybody knows? Okay, so we got a big menu. The feed starts at 9, okay? And then we're going to start worship outside. We'll be outside right here like we were two years ago when we had an outdoor service. And we're going to need some help. We're going to need help making sure we're set up for breakfast. We're going to need help getting close to 10 o'clock to move chairs outside um, from the tables. But with all of us, we can pitch in and pull that off really quickly. If you want to be more comfortable than sitting in a metal folding chair, bring your own chair. Okay, so if you have a folding chair that you like, a camp chair or whatever, bring that. Um, you know, if it's like today, bring an umbrella, I guess. But, you know, if it's more like today, you probably don't need too much of a sunshade. But if it's gets a little bit warm, the shade lasts the longest right here. That's why we're there. But you may want to bring a hat. So you think ahead, prepare for yourself, and dress accordingly. Nanette? This is next Sunday. Isn't that next Sunday? Oh, see, I'm all off on the month this week. I was talking about October and September, and okay, thank you, Nanette. I'm like, what's wrong with you, Nanette? <coughs> Don't you know what I'm thinking? Okay, thank you, Nanette. So this will be not September, right? Everybody got it. Thank you. One more, Kathy. And there is Cowboy Church at night, too. It's a big day. There's an Awana meeting. Make a note of that. So next Sunday is a big day. Are you going to be on a horse again? I'm going to be on a horse. It's the Sermon on the Mount. The, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, so I will be on a horse. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. There we go. Yeah, so I'll be speaking off a horse, bringing some lessons um, from some things related to that, to equestrian things and ranching. So encourage you to come. We'll have a good time. Um, this will be a little bit different service than obviously we normally have. Uh, if it's rainy, I'll bring my horse in here and we'll get up on the stage up here. We'll just put a tarp down. But um, no, we'll, we'll have a good Sunday. So make sure you make plans to be here next Sunday. And um, we'll start at 9 Carl will be here at 6, and Marlene will show up at 7, and any of you can come along the way. 
and then we'll worship at 10 and bring your own stuff. I think I covered all my bases pretty much. We will send out a flock note during the week to remind you, and um, it'll just, Lord willing, it'll be what it is. We'll have a good time outside. I know it's a little bit different. It'd be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you to be outside, but just it's just a one time, once a year, and um, it'll be something different we can remember. If you have a bulletin, look at the back of it. Part of this is from the Wyoming Pastors Network. Part of this as well is from the Wyoming Family Alliance. This all relates to what is called uh, the American Library Association, some things that are going on through the ALA. And what I did was I copied and pasted some stuff from Nathan Winters. Nathan Winters is one of our missionaries. Um, he is with what's called the Wyoming Family Alliance. Uh, we also work very closely hand-in-hand hand with the Wyoming Pastors Network. And uh, on the state level, seeking to you know, give guidance and wisdom to elected officials and other things concerning issues that are abreast in our country. Um, this relates to libraries in Wyoming. And um, if you will note, that is a copy-paste. If that was, let me do something here. There we go. I'm going to pull up something off my browser. This is actually Nathan, this is a short video that Nathan Winters did, and I'm not going to show it, but on this video he is talking about what's going on in the American Library Association, specifically as it relates to the state of Wyoming. I would encourage you to go and watch this video. Having said that, this video is... Um, done very tactfully, but the issues that are in this video are, you know, parental discretion advised. And some of the things that are happening in the libraries in Wyoming are, are shocking. And you say, that couldn't happen in our library. Well, when I was down in Afton during Pride Month, the late, the young woman who served me at the desk had a pride button on her shirt and had a sticker that said, I read banned books, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it does happen here. Um, and the stuff that is being pushed upon children in the library and through libraries, backdoor approach to getting into the minds of kids, is, is horrible. And so what we're encouraging you to do is go to this website, the Wyoming Family Alliance, he has a lot of information on here for you about, you know, what's, what the ALA is doing, um, about some of the specific books that are being found in many libraries across the state of Wyoming. And then here is the petition that you can sign on the side that goes to Governor Gordon. And, um, you know, it's been exciting to see how Nathan Winters has had a tremendous impact in Cheyenne. Most of you know Nathan. Working alongside Governor Gordon and the fast friendship that has formed there uh, is amazing the number of times that during the last, his last term in office, he would, he's called various times to the Pastors Network and said, 
you know, can I meet with you guys on Zoom and have a word of prayer, have prayer time with you? Um, and the Lord's done some tremendous things in our governor's heart. And he is listening and he is um, interested in these issues. But he needs to know from us as Christians why this is an important subject. And so we encourage you to contact him, use this petition to do so. And um, we're going to trust that the Lord um, intervenes in this issue in in the state of Wyoming. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask uh, after that, Dave's going to come and read scripture and we'll just continue with singing. And then I'll come back and speak the word of God after a little bit. Lord, we come before you. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are the ancient of days, that you have always been, you always will be. You are Lord over all. Sometimes, Lord, when we look at what's going on in our world, we see the corruption, we see the decay in our nation, we see the demise of so many institutions. Lord, it can be overwhelming and discouraging for us, your children. We take our eyes off you and we forget that you are the ancient of days, that you are over all. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we look at our country and we look at the many things that are going on. Even this video that we'll be watching, this movie we'll watch in September, Lord, about abortion. And, and Lord, just the tragedy that that is. How many, not only innocent lives have been lost of children, but then how many women have borne the horrible repercussions of, of guilt and depression, struggles because of the decisions that they have made. How many men, because of immoral lifestyles that we have embraced, maybe even have pressured a young woman to have an abortion? Father, we come before you and we confess to you that as a land we are broken. We have turned our backs on you. We need you. We need your forgiveness. I pray that you would help your church to stand up, to rise up in this day, to speak boldly the word of God in the public square. Lord, help us to not be ashamed. Help us to see, Father, that the lives of, of, of young children are being targeted and destroyed because of these wicked agendas that are out there. Lord, you have sprinkled us like salt in this community, in various occupations, our families. Lord, may we truly be salt and light. May we not be like a, a candelabra that hidden under a bushel basket. Lord, I pray you bless our service next Sunday. Give us good weather. Give us a good time of fellowship as we get to know each other just a little bit better, eating together. As we go into the fall, as kids go back to school, maybe in 
the public schools, maybe in home school, whatever the case may be. I pray that, Father, you would help these young people as they learn to embrace truth, to separate from it the lies that are being told to them. Lord, I lift up our kids. We know they're in your hand. Pray for young kids that are going to college, way to college. Protect them. Bless us in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 6. We've been in chapter 6 for quite some time. Today we finish it. Next week we'll be outside. So it'll be something completely different. And uh, then when we come back in here, we'll start into chapter 7. And uh, we'll see what Jesus is teaching in chapter 7 in relationship to the Feast of Booths. This is a long chapter. Of course, it's divided into two basic parts. The beginning of the chapter was the miracle. The miracle was the feeding of the 5,000. On that same day, Jesus walks on the water, came to his disciples, his apostles who were in the boat. Then on arriving... On the other side of the lake, Sea of Galilee, Jesus commences teaching them. This is in the synagogue of Capernaum. It tells us that clearly in verse 59. And he teaches them based on what has happened in the miracle. He broke the bread. He fed the multitude. And now he is telling them in this that we have studied, I am the true bread. I am the true bread of life. I've come down from heaven. I am the son of man. What he has said has caused disputing and grumbling. And as we have looked at before, by the end of the discussion, many of his disciples who hear what he teaches leave him, abandon him. So much so that Jesus turns to the twelve. And he says in verse 67, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've, in two parts, gone through various aspects of what has caused these people to grumble. You will remember, as it says in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back. They are not going to follow Jesus any longer. <coughs> and we asked ourselves the question, what are some of the things that Jesus has said that they are so highly offensive that people abandon him. And we noticed three. Three things that have caused these disputations and the grumbling. Number one was Jesus' claim of exclusivity as the only way to eternal life. Jesus said, we saw it four times in the text, I will raise him up. 
I will raise him up on the last day. If you believe in me, I am salvation, and in me there is no salvation. Apart from me, there is no salvation. So we saw Jesus' claim of exclusivity and how that caused disputation. Second thing was Jesus' teaching about the sovereignty of the Father in saving men. Jesus says to them, you've seen me, you've seen what I did, and yet you don't believe. And then he said, and no one, no one can believe, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We developed that last week in this text and what it means to be drawn. The third thing is this truth where Jesus teaches them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Dave read to us this morning in the scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 11. That is an extended passage that talks to us about what we recognize and practice as one of the ordinances or one of the sacraments of the church. We call it the Lord's table. All of that is yet future when Jesus says this. Jesus is clearly paving some way for them to understand what the sacrament is all about. But there's much more in what Jesus says here than merely thinking about the Lord's table. So today we need to do two things. As we unpack these verses, we need to think about what does it mean when Jesus teaches us about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? And then how does that relate to what we do? We practice it monthly. We practice what's called the Lord's table or the Eucharist. And what is that? Why do we Christians do it? And so we'll look at those two things today as we go through the text. Now let's look in the scripture. Let's read some of what is said here. We'll look to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then we'll kind of jump in with both feet. Let's pick up reading in verse 52. Actually, let's start reading in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus just said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, but I am not like the bread that your fathers ate. Your fathers ate in the wilderness, and they died. They ate the manna. And the manna, we talked about that, was an amazing miracle. Where for Think about this. For 40 years, six days a week, manna appeared on the ground and fed perhaps two million Jews. Now, Jesus just fed 5,000 men, and how many women and children, we are not really aware. We don't know. That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? Think about what Jesus did there where he takes a small boy's lunch, and he divides it, and he feeds a crowd of maybe 20,000 people. That is astounding. It reveals to us the might and the power of Jesus Christ. This other miracle 
Last for 40 years. For 40 years, every day except on the Sabbath, all the Jews, and there again, we don't know exactly how many Jews there were, but when you look at the census in the book of Numbers, you're going to arrive at somewhere, I mean, there's over a million of them, maybe two million. There's also a mixed multitude with them, it says. That mixed multitude just means it's a bunch of people from the region who have attached themselves to Israel because they got away from Egypt with them. But they're not necessarily Jews. They're just what are called the mixed multitude. People of other ethnicities. And every day for 40 years they pick up the manna. And that's their dinner. I mean, that's their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And every once in a while God gives them some quail. It's an amazing miracle. And yet Jesus points out something. That's an amazing thing, but that was not the true bread. Because those people ate it, and their carcasses were left in the wilderness. They died. In fact, only two from that generation even got to go in the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two men who truly believed God and what he had said. Even Moses sees it from Mount Pisgah and does not go in. And then Jesus is here saying, look, the manna was one thing and that was great. But I, I am the true bread. I come down from heaven. And notice what Jesus is saying here. I will give, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews began to dispute among themselves, and they said, notice this, they're only thinking in the flesh. They're not thinking deeper, they're not thinking spiritually. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Remember those two words combined, truly, truly. We only ever see them in the scripture, in the gospel of John. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. He is heightening this. He is... He is placing some emphasis here. Jesus is drawing attention to the veracity of what he is saying, that this is reality, that we can go to the bank on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, (coughs) unless, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh 
is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, whoever drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so so whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's look to the Lord in order of prayer. Lord, we have to say with the disciples, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. What does it mean? How can you give us your flesh to eat? How can you give us your blood to drink? What does this even look like? What does it mean? Lord Jesus, I just pray that as we look at this this morning, that you would shed light on it by your Holy Spirit. You would help us see the spiritual truth that is contained here. Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate. Lord, you'd actually put me on the shelf and that you would just communicate through me. That your son might be glorified. We might see him high and lifted up. Pray that, Father, you would help us to truly feed on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's do message in a nutshell here. I'm going to get my pen on. You looked at this and kind of, you know, I wrestled with it. I've wrestled with it for actually about a month trying to think about what Jesus is saying here, that he is the bread of life. We've got to eat him. We've got to drink him. And there have been so many misunderstandings of this throughout church history. And we'll try to deal with some of that today, though not exclusively. But if we just tried to boil the message down into a nutshell and we said, okay, what is he getting at here? Let's just think about it like this. You are what you eat. Right? To some degree, that's what he's saying. You are what you eat. Now, we know that's true physically. I I mean, the American diet is junk. Right? Basically, it's just junk. Let's just say it. You know, why are we all, like, chronically ill? Well, to a large degree, you know, some of it's our genes. Some of it's, it's, you know, God and his sovereignty is allowing things in our life. That's happening, of course. Cross the board. But, you know, a lot of our problems, a lot of my physical problems, I brought upon myself by poor dietary decisions. Right? I think we need to own that. You are what you eat. It's true spiritually. If you eat the junk of the world, and you feed on the junk of the world, 
That's what's going to be the reality of who you are spiritually. You and I are embodied spirits, correct? We're embodied spirits. Our physical body, our physical life is completely sustained through food and drink. You are not a self-sustaining machine. Life cannot be sustained without you and I eating and drinking. Jesus is saying in a spiritual sense, you and I are not self-sustaining. There is no true life within us. Sustenance and nourishment must come to us from outside of us. The world lies to us and just says, look to your inner light. Look to your inner self. Fan the flames of goodness. You know, and all those kind of things that the world says about us, that's just a bunch of, bunch of hooey and a bunch of baloney. We are not self-sustaining, and spiritually we are bankrupt. And if we are to live, if we are to have eternal life, we must feed on something or someone. And Jesus is just saying, there are many things out there that will offer themselves to you as being a source of life. But I am the true one, and I am the only one. And if you will live eternally, it will be because you ate me and you drank me. And that is all signified by believing in him. We see that repeated in the text. Now, he says here we are to eat and drink the Son of Man. We last week talked about man's inability. We cannot even come to the Father on our own. He must draw us. Because of that, God has made a provision for our salvation. This provision is his Son, Jesus Christ. God's provision is the life of his son for the world. It is the life of his son for us. When I eat a good steak, it's because some bovine somewhere gave its life. It gave it life. It's life. I eat it and it sustains me. Its death becomes my life. In a literal way, Jesus gave his life. When he talks about his flesh and his blood, he literally is using them as symbolic of his life. That is why in the book of Leviticus in 17, it tells us there, God tells us, I have given you the blood on the altar to make an atonement for your sins because the life of the flesh is where? In the blood. It's in the blood. 
When a doctor wants to know what's wrong with you, what does he do? Have you stick out your tongue, takes your fever. And what does he do? He analyzes what? Your blood. Because in your blood, he will see what's going on in your life. Because life is in the blood. And so he has given his life, the life of his son for the world. His flesh and his blood are literally sacrificed once for all time and for all people. It talks about this in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 and 10. And then it is by partaking in Christ through faith that we are given eternal life. This is the gospel. You've heard it before. We see it here exemplified in analogy in the blood and the flesh of the Son of Man. And so it is by partaking in Christ through faith that we are given eternal life. Now, when we think about the atonement, there are three words that are many times mentioned in doctrinal statements and other things that maybe you don't understand, but you need to understand so you understand the concept. When we think of atonement, we are talking about a word, forgiveness. In other words, listen to me. If you're going to be with God forever, the only way that's going to happen is if he forgives you. And me. Why? Because we have sinned. And that sin is a barrier to our fellowship. It has destroyed something. Forgiveness and atonement is essential to glory. That is at the heart of the gospel. When we think about forgiveness, there are two adjectives that really describe what this means. It is the penal substitutionary atonement. So what are we saying? Number one, it is penal. There is a penalty. There is a penalty for sin. Our world does not understand that today, does it? It does not understand that. Sin means nothing. It's no big deal. Have you watched the videos that have been going viral lately about all the young people and all the people in California that are going into all these stores and are robbing them blind? You know, man alive, I don't know about you, but I just get overwhelmed with it sometimes, what's going on in our country. Refugee camps in New York. I mean, we're just, we are screwed up. I mean, we, Amy and I watched some news last night and should have never done it because I couldn't sleep all night when I was thinking about all the corruption in all the high-level places all over our country and what is going on. And sin means nothing. Nothing. So what if I robbed? So what if I went in that store and took what did not belong to me? And nobody cares except God. That sin, those people that did that, and every one of us who have also sinned, because we all have. That sin that is in the forefront of your mind right now, because you got it. That sin will damn you for eternity apart from God, in torment. 
if my Bible is true. That's what's coming. There is a penalty. There is a law court. I read this morning in the book of Daniel, the ancient of days sat. And he opened the books. And all men, great and small, stood before him. Substitutionary representation in my place. Okay, let's just think about this concept of forgiveness. Look, I, I, I deserve hell. But someone was willing to take my place. Die on a cross. So that I could be forgiven. And there is no forgiveness except for this. So, if we think about it, let's just think about some questions here related to the atonement. Number one, why doesn't God just forgive? I, I mean, that was one of the things we talked about at the beginning of this study in John chapter 6, is this idea that's out there in the world, we call it universalism, which just basically means this. In the end, God's just going to say, I, you know, I know you screwed up. You know, I, I wish you wouldn't have done that. And it was really bad. Because I'm a God of love, I'm just going to forgive you. Is God going to do that? Do you expect to stand before God someday and Him open the books on your life and take you through a catalog of where you've been and what you've done, the things you've thought? And then just to say, I know all ten of my commandments you broke, but I'm just going to forgive you. Come on in. We're going to be together for eternity. Why doesn't God just forgive us? Justice. He is a God of justice. It would not be just. We all understand that when it comes to someone like Hitler, right? Comes someone like Stalin. Oh, it wouldn't be just if God just forgave him, even though Stalin killed some 40 million of his own people. It just would not be just if God forgave him. Just because. But the same holds true for every one of us. It wouldn't be just. If somebody murdered your child and they went to a human court and they stood before a judge of humans and the judge looked at him and said, did you kill that person's child? And you said, yes, I did. If that judge just said, well, I'm just going to forgive you because I'm a nice judge. What would we all do? We would rise up 
and say you are unjust. That is not just. If God just forgives sin because of his love, he becomes unjust. Then we could say, well, is substitution just? Is it really just for God to then accept the death of his son instead? Well, the death of his son not only satisfies justice, it also reveals to us the mercy of God, that he loves us, that his heart is truly wanting to be reconciled to us. And so he loved us so much, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And so is this penal substitution revealed in the scripture as necessary? It is. I am giving my life for you. And if you eat me and you drink me, you will have life. Now, I was going to have a freewheeling conversation about all things related to the Eucharist and its court of till. So we won't have a freewheeling conversation about that. But there's all these things that I wanted to bring up today, but I want to close with these four. If we just think about the sacramental verbs, Dave read to us the text. Because there's been a lot of misapprehension about this, and I may come back in two weeks and teach this stuff, because it's pretty important stuff. We understand the Lord's table. Because I think a lot of people in a lot of churches don't really understand what this is. But there are four verbs in 1 Corinthians 11 that are important. The first one is the word thanksgiving. We come together and we celebrate the Lord's table. I brought a cup with cracker up here. When we celebrate, the first thing that we are doing is we are saying thank you. That's why it's called the Eucharist. Every month when we do this, I hope what goes through our heart and through our mind is a pause to reflect, to worship him, and say, because your body was broken and your blood was shed, I get to live forever. Thank you. To thank you. Number two, it is remember. Remember, we reflect. Just like one of the purposes of the Sabbath in the Old Covenant was to remember what God did in creation, what we do when we take the Eucharist is we remember what Jesus did on the cross. Thirdly, we proclaim. For as often as you drink this, or you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is also anticipation until he comes. Jesus said what on the last night, the night that he was betrayed? He said, I'm not going to eat this anymore until I eat it with you in my kingdom. It's an anticipation and it is a time of reflection and examination. 
All these things were in the text that Dave read to us this morning. So what we're going to do is in two weeks, we'll be back in chapter six. Because there's a bunch there that I do want to convey to you that I think is really important when we think about 1 Corinthians 11. So we're just going to come back to that, and um, we'll be in this chapter until the Lord returns. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you. I thank you that I don't have to go to hell forever for what I have done. I thank you that you forgave me. Not because of any good that I've done, not because of any works that I brought, simply because I have partaken of your son in faith. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here today that has never understood the gospel, that they would just see Jesus high and lifted up. They would understand that for them to go to heaven, they must be forgiven, and that there is only forgiveness in Christ, in Christ alone, that they would trust him, simply trust him. Dismiss us with your love, and as we sing, may we worship you from the heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.